Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Pastor David Edwards. Thank you very much, sir. We thank you, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you. Our hearts are open. We receive further enlargement. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Spirit of God. You, you cause your light to dawn and bring illumination upon our hearts. That we may see the paths that you have beaten before us. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's have our seats. Good evening, everyone. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, um, so very quickly, um, you see, when we look at the scriptures, we would see that um, everything um, God did in everyone that worked with him can be traced, can be tracked, um, which makes it easy to walk with God. Working with God is not, um, is not difficult as some people think, you know. Um, Jesus made a very profound statement um, when speaking with the disciples. He said to them, he said, now, of course, one of them had asked the Lord that, Lord, you know what, just, <laughs> just show us the Father, this Father you talk so much about. Just show us the Father and that would suffice. Then he said, have I been with you for this long and you have not seen the father he says for everyone that has seen me has seen the father now that scripture is a little bit is a little bit tricky because uh, if you're not careful you would think that what jesus meant by you know um the connection between seeing him and the father is based on the natural form you know jesus didn't make that statement to mean that in shape and form, he looked like the father. He didn't look like the father in shape and form. Are we paying attention? Because the father is in term. <laughs> you, know, you know. But if you look at the use of words very carefully, you will see that Jesus was speaking about how that, on account of how he had lived right before the disciples, what he was doing was that he was, he was capturing right before their senses the character of God. The way he lived, the way he spoke, the way he conducted himself, what he was doing was that he was revealing the person of God. So anyone who had taken his or her time to observe Jesus, you know, in the words he spoke, in the things he did, all right, would have invariably come to a conclusion of knowing what God is like. Now, that was why he said, anyone who has seen me, anyone who has observed me, all right, would know that all the while that I was speaking, all the while I was doing things, the person I was framing for all of you to see was the Father. Now, you know, if you look at the way Jesus healed the sick, now you will see that besides bringing healing to the sick, he was manifesting the character of God's goodness. Remember the man that had um, 
leprosy, you know, of course, who had heard so much about Jesus' healing power. So he knew, he knew what Jesus could do. But when he came to Jesus, he said to him, he said, I know you can. So in other words, as far as power and ability is concerned, you are able to. He said, but what I'm not so certain about is your willingness to. So he said, I know you can heal me only if you are willing to heal me. Jesus did something very profound. If you, if you look at that, it's, it blows away one's mind. Jesus didn't just, you know, heal him. The scripture says he touched him. Jesus could have healed him without touching him. He had done that many times. You see, but he touched him. That was, you know, um, a careful study of scripture shows us that there was something in the law in regards to leprosy. All right? So that man wasn't just sick in his body. All right? As far as his interactions with society was concerned, the man was sick in his soul. There was a disconnect. So Jesus went beyond bringing healing to him bodily to bring healing to his soul, to bring healing to his emotions. And he did that by touching the man. He was revealing the heart of God. Now, if you look at the scriptures from, from the book of Genesis, we would see that everyone that came into an encounter with God, all right, didn't have that encounter or those encounters without the experiences they had with God triggering their spiritual senses. Every one of them. Now, the first example we can point to in scriptures is in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. After that, Adam, the man, all right, Adam and Eve had sinned, they had fallen. Now, the scripture tells us that they heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the day. Now, not minding the fact that they had fallen, they had sinned, all right, but via the interface of their senses, all right, they still had some level of awareness of the person of God, of the movement of God. Now, that's something that shows us how God continues to reach out to people. Now, we all remember the story of Moses. Moses had been long gone from Egypt, all right, living his life, you know, was married already and, you know, living his life. When he hadn't, you know, journeyed as far as the, into the desert with <laughs> animals that normally wouldn't survive that terrain, you know. So what we saw there is that what Moses did was an expression of the condition of his heart. There was a test. There was a longing. All right? Now, of course, what happened was that he looked and saw a bush, you know, some sort of, you know, plant ablaze with fire but not consumed. Then he said to himself, you know, what's, what's all this? This thing is on fire but not burnt. He said, I will now do what? To see. To see. Now, you know, chapter 3 of the book of John, when Nicodemus had come to Jesus, all right? Now, in response to all of the things he said, Jesus said to him, he said, except a man 
is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's verse 3. Verse 5, he says, except a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter. Now, it will, it will interest us to know that in the original, you know, manuscripts, the phrase born again, all right, some translation says it means to be born from above. All right? To be born from above. Now, but basically, when you look at the different, you know, translations and, you know, tie it all together by looking at the original language, the Greek language, what Jesus was basically saying is he was referring to a type of birth that is connected to gaining a different perspective, gaining a different vision that is of a superior life. You see, a type of birth that takes a person from a lower plane of living to a higher plane of living. Now, you know, Jesus, when he made that statement, I know there's a way we've used that scripture in the church, all right? We use that in reference to what happens to a person at new birth. Now, if you look at that scripture very carefully, Jesus wasn't speaking about new birth. You see, because if you look at the scripture very carefully, <laughs> people in the Old Testament had some level of born-again experience. In that, they came into or they had an initial encounter with God, all right, that as a result brought them out of a lower plane dimension of living and took them to a higher dimension of living. Are we here? So, in other words, they, they came into a level of divine illumination that shifted their consciousness. That is an example of what happened with Moses. Moses was as natural as every other person. But after his experiences with God on that mountain, his perspective and as a result, his consciousness shifted. That was what God was trying to do. Because if you notice, after what Moses had seen, the burning bush came up the mountain, you will see that as soon as God spoke to him, the next thing God began to say, to further hammer down on the process that had begun. Because something started when Moses saw what he saw. To further strike home the point, God said, what's in your hand? He says, it's a rod. Now, God wasn't trying to entertain. God was carrying out a work to further trigger the activation, all right, of Moses' inner consciousness. He said, put down the rod. You know what happened? I will pay attention. He said, what's that? He says, my right hand. He said, put it behind your bosom. You, you know the story. God wasn't trying to entertain Moses' curiosity. God was doing a work by opening Moses up to the reality of a higher dimension contrary to Moses' current state. You see, this is what God always does. Now, by doing that, Moses was being given an invitation, like you see in Revelations chapter 5, chapter 4, 1, to come up hither. Everyone in the Old Testament who walked with God had similar experiences that eventually cut them off 
You see, from the natural, you know, mundane way of doing things, which in turn became the foundation for their miracle work or their supernatural life with God. So when Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man is born again, you see, except a man, you know, lives from a higher plane, he was saying, all right? Or the new King James says, except a man is born from above. He cannot see because the kingdom of God is a reality, is the reality of the civilization of God that is over and against the system of this world. So one must have an encounter with God, all right, that facilitates his transition, all right, from the lower plane or what we call the wisdom of this world, all right, into the realms of the wisdom of God, which Christ is. You see, this was something that someone like the Apostle Peter understood. Hence why in his own letter, notice how he uses the phrase, born again. He uses it in a present continuous tense. He says, being born again. You see? Being born again. So actually, Peter was saying, <laughs> that experience for you, that experience of, you know, being in that state of continuous ascendancy must be continuous, must be ongoing rather. Now, at new birth, look at what happened to us. At new birth, new birth for all of us, all right, what we call new birth is in a sense, you know, is in a sense our type of Moses' experience of the burning bush. Are we paying attention? In that, that's, is the first time we come into an encounter with God's power. All right? At New Bed, we encounter the power of God, which scripture calls the gospel. Remember? Romans chapter 1, it calls the gospel the power of God unto salvation. All right? So at New Bed, a person's heart encounters the power of God. All right? He encounters the gospel. All right? And in the gospel, is revealed, he says, the righteousness of God. Now, on that encounter, as a result of that interaction, in response to that interaction, we awaken to God. Our awakening to God, all right, is how we transit, like Colossians says, from the realm of the power of darkness into the realm of the kingdom. So we actually go through a process of ascendancy. We are waking from death, all right, to life. We are waking from sin to righteousness. You see, we are waking in that manner and have what we call our first or initial born again experience. All right, are we here? Please, I want you to follow. All right, now. That happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. Now, you look at the gospel, you look at the factors that make up what we call the gospel. Against the backdrop of the wisdom of this world, it doesn't make sense. It's why in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that the gospel, the preaching of the cross, you see, as against the
standard of the wisdom of this world, which he called Greek at the time. He says it is foolishness. All right? The same preaching of the cross, all right, as against the, the religious pride of the Jews. It's an offense. It's annoying. It's about to us that are being saved. You see? It is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. So, in our new birth experience, one of the things that happens to us, all right, in our new birth experience, is that our, the senses of our being, all right, are triggered. The senses of our being are turned on. We come alive to God. So you find out that in new birth, in your personal new birth experience, all right, even though the things being heard to someone else doesn't make sense, all right, in that moment, it is making perfect sense to you. That is what in turn, you know, necessitates your response. You respond, you see, to that, you know, seeming foolishness. You respond to it. That light, like Paul put it in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, all right, that light of the glory of God, which is the person of Jesus, shines upon your heart, and in response, you, you declare the lordship of Jesus. Now, important senses of our being are waking at that moment. They are waking at that moment. You see, an awakening that ought to be sustained, all right, by an ongoing exposing of the heart to divine truth. You see, ongoing, you know, exposure to the light of the person of Christ. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, you see that the different men who walked with God didn't have one encounter. You see, they kept having encounters. They kept having divine experiences. Alright? Because based on how God created man, you see, what is food? Food to man, alright, is divine things. You see, encounters, alright, are food to man. Now, you look at Prophet Jeremiah. When God began speaking through him about, in a sense, another covenant. Are we paying attention? Yeah. Now, notice what he says. He says, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah. He said, not like the one I made with the fathers when I led them by the hands. That's Jeremiah 31. All right? Now, if you go forward, he says that um, this, in this new covenant I'm going to make, I am going to write my laws upon their hearts. I will write my laws upon their heart. Now, we look at the first, or what should we call it, the first law that was given. Now, through Moses, if you look at the law very carefully, I'm sure we know that what we call the law isn't just Ten Commandments. No, Ten Commandments are included in the law. What the law is, is a, is a civilization. That is why there was nothing in the lives of the people that wasn't contained in the law. The law spoke into their lives. You understand? 
from the law went forth order that struck the chord of every of their human interactions. All right? It, have, it spoke into what they should eat, how they should dress, you know, agriculture, how they should build their houses, all right? Relationship. It spoke into everything. It was a civilization. Now, now God begins to say that I'll make a new covenant in which I will write my laws. Now, the laws of God, please listen, the laws of God aren't just um, sets of teachings. You know, what we call doctrine, what we call doctrine, the doctrines of Christ, aren't just, um, they're not just um, sets of teachings. Yes, through teaching, they are communicated. But what is being communicated through teaching, all right, are tangible realities of the spirit. Are we here? The truth of God, the revelations of God that are communicated via teaching, which we collectively refer to as doctrine, all right, are reflections of tangible substances, reality. In fact, doctrines are places in the spirit. They are realities in the spirit. For example, what you call, for example, just tiny little winning example. For example, what you call faith. Now, some people think of faith as, okay, thank you, sir. Great. Some people call faith, some people think faith is just a set of teachings. No. Faith, faith is an important material with which the realms of God is constituted. Faith in the spirit can be touched. It is palpable. It is real. It's in the, it is one of the components with which the atmosphere of heaven, all right? It's in the fabric of the environment of heaven, faith which we call here teachings, teaching series on faith. You know, in the spirit, it is substance. You see, without which, without which the, the constitution of eternal things cannot hold together. Are we paying attention? You can go on, is it righteousness? Mention them. In the spirit, you know, <laughs> you know, spiritual things are the things of God. Let me say the things of God exist in a in a realm, <laughs> you know, high and beyond things. All right, and usually I say that give give human being, give man or human being another. There are trillion years. He will not be able to catch up. In his current state of all, he won't be able to catch up. You. <laughs> you know, very amazing stuff. You know. <laughs> I remember, all right, just a quick, I remember, you know, in the, in the early years of my relationship with God, you know, um, 
I, I was, um, I was born into a Christian home, so my dad was a minister of the gospel. So there were a lot of things I saw growing up in church that they didn't add up to what we were being taught. For example, many of the elders were very sick. Very sick. Managing health challenges. You understand? Somebody, like, for example, you know, I remember one day I went to call my dad, you know, weren't living too far away from the headquarters of the denomination, you know, into which I was born at the time. You know, and he had guests, so I, you know, took off to go and call him, you know, <laughs> on entering to the, you know, the compound of the, you know, young boy. What I saw never left me for years. I saw a woman that was being prayed for who had begun to manifest devils and she had torn her clothes. She was stark naked and had one of the supposed deliverance ministers, supposed <laughs> deliverance minister up in the air with one hand. I'm not kidding you. This is not a movie. This is my experience. She had one of the men up, suspended. This is not a movie. Suspended. All right? While the other one was busy calling Jesus, you know, and the woman was not moved. That was a horror movie I ran into. Ran into that. As a young boy, heck, what? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> so, you know, so I grew up asking questions. So much that at a point, I began to, you know, veer into atheistic thoughts. I'm going to come to a place of disbelieving God in the existence of God. It was going under my dad's roof. We're doing our daily devotions. I was gradually, you know, edging into it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make what's making sense, you know. But so after my first encounter with the Lord Jesus, that began a series of experiences and. You know, but one of the things that, now because that was where I was coming from. Now, when I tell people my background, I don't just tell them my dad was a minister. I don't tell them I was born in the church. I also tell them that I was almost veering enough into so that they can know where I'm coming from. So one of the things that that did to me was, in the early days of my work with the Lord Jesus, I was someone who was very inquisitive. I asked questions. The same question I would ask my dad, would tell me, shut up, don't ask, that's blasphemy. Don't ask those kind of questions. When you, you know, a little child, you're asking, where is God from? Where did God come from? No, don't say, don't worry, we don't know. No, that, see, that's one of the things we do, and we lose our children. See, that's why as a parent, you need to have a walk with God. You need to have a walk with God. Your children need to be raised in a home where the supernatural is manifested. They shouldn't only know the supernatural as a phenomenon that only plays out in church. They should see it replicated in the home. So, I would ask my dad those kind of questions and he would tell me, shut up, don't ask, don't. There are things that we shouldn't know. You know, but I would read the Bible and I would see somebody like Moses talk to, in court, God, the way he did. I'm like, ah, this is an Old Testament fellow talking to God like this. You know? Or you see somebody like David. This man would have visions into experiences that didn't belong to his day. God never struck him, didn't kill him. 
are the kinds of, you know, heavy conversations David dropped into. As a young boy, I would read and I, would, I had questions. Now, You see, when we, when we have our experiences, our initial experience with God in the gospel, that experience is real. That experience becomes to every one of us the foundation, all right, for limitless encounters in God. Limitless encounters in God. But one of the reasons why, you know, some of us probably got saved, you know, it's been five years, it's been 10 years, it's been 20 years, and, you know, beside the fact that we can speak in tongues and once in a while we see visions, nothing out of the ordinary besides that. Now, this was something years ago that I began to study around. Why is, why is that so? Why do you look at folks who lived in the Old Testament who, like we say, didn't have the Holy Spirit in them? Alright? Tend to have a solid grasp of spiritual things. So much so that they knew what to do every time they needed the interventions of God. They knew what to do. Now, so I'm going to take us through, you know, you know, but very quickly. Now, so, at New Birth, on account of that initial encounter with the gospel, all right, our awakening to God, all right, also caused the activation of our senses, of our senses, all right? Because without the participation of your senses in that experience, you wouldn't have been able to respond there was something that dawned upon your heart. Something walked through your heart. Which in turn led to your response to the Lordship of Jesus. You see, something, it was tangible. It, now, the thing is, is at that point, it, because of the disconnect between the senses of the body and the heart, it will not make sense. You understand that? Are we paying attention? It wouldn't make sense. But, it makes perfect sense to your heart. That knowing that, you know, you see, I don't know what it is, but I know I'm not a child of God. You know, I, I, I'm actually not feeling different than I did when I, but there's something fresh. I can't explain it. I know that the Spirit of God now dwells within me. Now, sometimes because the knowing isn't so solid, or you leave the crusade ground, or you leave the meeting, and Satan reminds you of what you did before you, you know, and you know, you are, you are still trying to hold your faith. You know, you come back to the meeting, you are encouraged again. That you see that your justification is by faith. It isn't subject to the testimony of your senses. Now actually, the senses of the outer man. Because your inner man has senses. Alright? And the senses of the inner man must now be trained. Alright? And the foundational way of training the sense of the inner man is by feeding it. You know how a baby is born? 
A baby is born complete, right? But all the senses the baby has, all right, are not capable of interaction. Even the sense of sight. You know when a baby looks at you, baby is seeing colors, actually. Baby is not seeing you. Baby doesn't understand what it's seeing. All right? It's seeing colors. Same thing with the ears of the baby. Baby can't make a sense of what is spoken. All right? Clearly spoken words in the ears of a baby. All right? It's just, it's a blast of noise. But you don't get discouraged. You don't say, look at this baby. This baby can't walk. Let's throw the baby out. What do you do? You keep feeding the baby. All right? You keep feeding the baby. Now, while the baby is being fed, which is one, secondly, the senses of the baby, over time, by living amongst men, all right, and by continuously remaining exposed to the realities around that baby, all right, will begin to cause the senses to develop. You see? So much so that over time, what is a blast of noise and sound in the hearing of the baby, all right, will begin to become what? Clearly spoken words. Are we paying attention? Over time, the, the, the baby's sense of sight no longer sees a bubble of colors when he sees you. All right? The colors begin to come together, all right, being interpreted to the brains that this is, this is my dad. This is my mom. So you take that same baby and give that baby to another person. Baby starts crying. He knows this is not my mom. Now, in a sense, spiritual is the same. All right? Haven't been saved. All right? Haven't had our senses triggered at new birth. All right? We must go through the process of feeding. Of feeding. The saints must become established in truth. Part of what is being achieved, all right, is to facilitate through feeding, all right, the development of our senses. Of our senses. Our spiritual sense, the sense of our heart begins to become developed. Now that's the reason why, you know, having begun your faith, your work with the Lord, all right, as a result of what? The presence of God's spirit in you. All right? You begin to experience manifestations of the spirit. All right? And I said something yesterday that one of the ends of the manifestation of the spirit, all right, is to facilitate the trigger, the further trigger of our senses. You see? Because there are senses of the heart you have, of the inner man you have, you probably didn't know they were there until you begin to flow in the gift of the spirit. You begin to see things. You begin to know things supernaturally. You begin to feel things. Are we paying attention? Now what's going on is that why there are different purposes for that, one of the ends being reached, all right, is to facilitate that supposed, supposed because many times that is not the case. Many times, believers don't go through that process of the continuous developing of their senses. They don't go through that process. They, don't, they do not submit to that process. The feeding required, all right, to turn on our senses, many believers, for whatever, for whatever reasons, excuses, deny themselves of that. 
Now, you see, if you look in the Old Testament, you'll see that the subject of spiritual senses was a serious matter among people that worked with God. It was so much of a serious matter that they, they committed time to it. They gave time. I'm going to show us in scriptures. They gave time to it. You see, the practice of sharpening spiritual senses, all right, was something these people gave time, they committed time to. Now, um, okay, uh, I'm conscious of the time, but I'll quickly make references, all right? Quote certain scriptures, reference them. You can write them if you want to write down or if it's put up, good. Now, remember, I want to give us a couple of examples. Now, remember um, Abraham? Okay, maybe we should, let's begin by looking at that. Let's look at Genesis 18. I want to look at this scripture very carefully. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18. From verse 1. Okay. All right. Now, look at this very carefully. Very carefully. So that we don't miss the point. It says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains, in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. I want you to see the connection. There seems not to be a connection between the appearing of the Lord and his position. There is. If you are, if you are conversant with how the scriptures all right, were written, particularly in specific relation to the Jews, all right, their culture, you know, their, their, their tradition, their, their way of life, all right, you will know this makes sense. There's something here. Now, it says, the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. It says, and the man, Abraham, sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, go on. Let's see verse 2 now. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Now, verse 1 is saying something. It's capturing something for us. Now, of course, the writer of the book of Genesis also wrote with an end to helping the people understand what he's saying. So one of the things he did is that he wrote in a way that was subjective, or he wrote in a way that, um, that okay, subjective to the understandings of the people. All right, understandings, that is in relation, that is a reference to their culture, their way of doing things. Are we paying attention? Now, what do I mean by that? For example, the Jews understand the practice of taking physical position, all right, as a reflection of something spiritual. They do that a lot. Are we paying attention? All right, the practice of acting out in the natural what seems to be the current disposition of a person's heart? Are we paying attention? Now, so when the scripture tells you here, the Lord appeared unto him, and the man sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, the tent door there, his brother, his sitting position in the tent door is a reflection of his heart position. The tent being spoken of here, yes, there was a physical tent, all right, but beyond the physical tent, he was speaking of the tent of his heart. 
all right? And sitting at the point of entry, all right, is the man opening the entry point of his heart, all right, expecting an encounter from the Lord. You see, um, our brother that was leading prayers, you know, at the, I think at the very end, talked about um, the importance of understanding spiritual things so that we can always replicate it. We can always repeat it. Now, that is one of the yardsticks for determining maturity. Now, a lot of people think spiritual things are, is when God is leading. Yes, there is that sovereign move of God. You see, but because we are God's children, when God does something, he doesn't cover his tracks to his children. That was what Moses meant when he said, this 29 of Deuteronomy, verse 29, 29, 29, Deuteronomy. He said, the secret things of God belongs to God. But the things which are revealed belongs to us, not only to us, but to our children. You see, God loves to reveal. Do you understand? He proved it by coming in the person of Jesus. So the Bible tells in John chapter 1 that no one has seen the Father at any time. But the only begotten who is also in the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. You see, 1 Corinthians 2, it says, What man knoweth the things of a man? Save the spirit of man that is in him. It says, Even so the things of God knoweth no man, save the spirit of God. But it doesn't stop. It now goes on to say, This same spirit we have received, that we may what? Know the things of God. So in court, if God is hiding from people, he's not hiding from you. It's not. So you see, Abraham here was acting out his spiritual experience. He was, now you will see that it's not a, it's, it's, it's a practice and knowing that people, men of God knew in the, in the scriptures. Now another example I would love to give to us is First Kings, First Kings, um, Sorry, yes, 1 Kings 19, chapter 19 of 1 Kings, 19 of 1 Kings. Now, I'm going to read because it's a bit, um, I'm not sure, some that is, uh, okay, now, now what had happened in chapter 19 is, Elijah had come into a spiritual place, all right, that wasn't good, all right, and he was beginning to act it out, all right, on hearing the message of Jezebel, he said, <laughs> I want to die, you know the story, all right, and the word of the Lord came to him to go to what? The word of the Lord came to him to go to the mountain, God spoke to him to go there, all right, and to further establish what did God do, he confirmed it by what? Sending an angel who brought meal twice to him to help him go, you know, go in that direction. All right? Are we paying attention? The angel brought meal again and said, eat because the journey is far. Now, guess what? He gets to the mountain. I want us to see. There's some important details I want us to see. All right? So, we can quickly come back. 
Okay, from verse 8. From verse 8, all right? From verse 8. He says, and um, he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. All right? So notice that. Verse 9. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. All right? He came thither unto a cave. Now, I need to see something. There is a parable here that has a message, a secret, some sort of secret, that if you don't recognize that and you do a literal reading of this, you will miss it. Are we here? Please, I want you to bear that in mind. Now, so let's read. It says, he came to that onto a cave. Now, you know what, what reason why I said that? Even different translations, all right, have not been able to effectively capture it. So it's not about translations. It's about seeing the message. Now, he said he came onto a cave and lodged there. He came onto a cave. Now, you know what a cave is. So, obviously, he arrived at the mountain, all right, and entered and decided to lodge in one of the entries, you know. You understand? There. You had arrived there, all right. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, the same word who had come to him before and had instructed him to come here. Now comes to him and said to him, what doest thou here? Doesn't make sense. No, who told him to come here? The Lord. He said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous. Now, literally, does that make sense? Is that a sensible response to the question? No, the sensible response should be, either you told me to come here. But you see, when God said, what are you doing here? Now, it is God's word revealing his position. All right? The first thing that came out of the man's mouth was his position. Are we paying attention? Where he was isn't physically, it's not geographic. It's a heart state. All right? And when he spoke, his attempt to respond to that question revealed that heart state. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. He said, but the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left and seek thy life to take away. Now, this was where he was when the message of Jezebel got to him. You get that? No, think about that. A man who a day before has slaughtered 450 false prophets in the presence of Ahab, the very next day, the word of the queen it's not, a, it's not, listen, it's not because Jezebel was so heavily anointed with sorcery. Elijah was in a wrong place. Do you understand that? He was in a state, a wrong state of heart. This is it. I'm the only one. I'm the most accurate. That was where he was in his heart. All right? Hence why Je the effect of Jezebel's sorcery could reach him. That is the reason why as soon as Jezebel's message reached him, what was his response? I want to die. Death. One man who had single-handedly stood against all of the nation, right in the king's presence, who had, after doing that, prayed until the cloud formed like the hand of a man, and it rained, who had also what? Outran supernaturally the chariot of the king. No, it was not the power of Jezebel's spirit. It wasn't. 
You will see the same principle play out with John the Baptist. It wasn't because Herodias, right, was very anointed. John was already in a place of hopelessness. Remember? He sent his disciples to Jesus. He said, go and ask, is he the one? No, it's not because, it's not because he was the one having the spirit of Elijah. So what had happened to Elijah must happen to him. You know, that's the way we teach it. That's the way we teach it. Now, what we call the Jezebel spirit, all right, is only as powerful, its power is only as effective, all right, to reach you when you are in the wrong heart state. So what's the hula baloo about Jezebel spirit? Stay in the right place, he can't touch you. So John, like Elijah, had shifted ground. And the proof of that is in the the father, he sent his disciples. He said, go and ask him. Now, what he did wasn't just something he did then. It was a reflection of an ongoing heart state. So, look at Elijah. Where he was, was revealed. Okay? Now, the verse, next verse, verse 11. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount. Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Now, you probably will think, it doesn't matter what translation you use, you probably will think, okay, he was not in the mount or upon the mount when the word of the Lord came to him. Now, the word of God came to him while he was in the mount. He was in one of the caves in the mount. Now, God now says, and God spoke to him. But now, for the clear word of God to come to him, to facilitate what? His restoration, to take him out of that mess. And bring it to the right place. God told him where the healing will occur. Now, the mount of the Lord here is not a physical mount. Alright? Elijah understood this. You will see it shortly. The mount here is a place of consecration in the heart. Say, go there. And stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, he says, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains. Rent the What are the mountains? The mountains speaks about wrong belief systems. That's why it's in the plural. The mountains, there's not other mountains around Oreb. No. It is the exalted, you understand, positions that are not established on God's accurate word. And they have become mountains. All right, as a reflection of what? How long it's been those things have been there. They've been growing. He said, smash the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. He said, but the Lord was not in the wind. He wasn't revealed. He was there, but not revealed. As at yet. Why? It's an ongoing work. The bringing down of the false belief system so that what? A clear line of sight can happen. Now, and after... The, the wind and earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Go on. He was still shaking things. Alright? Still dealing with issues in the man's heart. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still small voice. Notice. You know how we've thought on this? We've referred to this still small voice as one of the ways God leads. It's not true. It's not scriptural. It's a teaching based on just one verse of scripture. I know many of our fathers in the faith who have blessed us taught that. That the still small voice is one of the ways God leads. No, it's not true. God's voice is not small and still. It is only small and still 
to the degree to which what? You are distant away from it. So that it was small and still shows you where Elijah was. Elijah had strayed in his walk, no, not in his prophetic ministry, in his walk before Yahweh. He had strayed. So the first time the clear word of the Lord within the context of heart interaction came to him. Not the word of the Lord via his prophetic gift. He was hearing God prophetically well. His gift in quote was intact. <laughs> That's what people make. We mistake our prophetic anointing or our, you know, apostolic and our, you know, you understand, our healing anointing as a measure for what? Our heart's current state. You're not the same thing. You're not the same thing. <laughs> All right, so then he had the still small voice. Distance. It was in the still small voice. The next verse. The next verse. He said, and it was so when Elijah, notice, notice when he heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. Isn't it confusing? He had entered the cave at the beginning. Then God spoke and said, Go and stand what? Upon the man before me. So he was supposedly upon the mount. As soon as what? He held the steel of what did he do? He said he wrapped himself with what? His mantle. And went out and stood at the entering of the cave. All this going up and down wasn't physical and external. They were, they are a reflection of movements in the heart. Movement in the heart. You see, this man understood these secrets. They understood the secret. Now, very quickly, um, I'm sure we all know that every, every person, every human being created by God, all right, is a house, right? All right? And when you look at the, the constitution of man, we understand that man, besides a physical outward, outer body, all right, he has a soul, he has a spirit, all right? Now, when you look at the scripture carefully, you will see that sometimes in the scripture, the word heart in the scriptures is used sometimes in reference to the spirit. Some other times, it is used, all right, in reference to the activity of both spirit and soul. All right? Hence, when you look at it in scripture, it is many times used interchangeably. Are we paying attention? So basically, when we say heart, we are talking about that experience of man that registers the activities of both his soul and his spirit. Okay? Now, and so when you talk about the heart of man, the heart of man has senses. All right? What we sometimes refer to as entry points, or sometimes we refer to as gateways. You see, man has gateways. All right? Just like you have, you know, senses in your body. All right? Are we here? The heart of man has senses. And you see, the thing about our senses is this. 
Because they are your senses. They are yours. They are not the Lord's. All right? Even after you become saved and the light of God shines into your heart, all right, God will not use your senses for you. You understand? Or let me put it this way. He will not exercise your senses for you. The same way God does not use the senses or does not exercise the senses of your body for you. He doesn't do that. Your eyes are yours. Your ears are yours. He, he will not exercise them for you. Now, yeah, there may be times, you know, once in a while, like we said, under the anointing, all right, under the atmosphere of God's glory, that God can seize you, all right? Sometimes we get drunk in the spirit, right? And we begin to laugh in the spirit. Sometimes we get drunk and we laugh, we dance in the spirit. Are we paying attention? Sometimes in prayer, we come on that deep groanings, all right? Deep, you know, expressions in intercession that we can't articulate with words. And the way best we can do that bodily is via groanings. But you see, your heart is as much yours as your body. You see, it's yours. Now, that's why you see, for example, in chapter 5 of Hebrews, he tells us, all right, that he said, for when you ought to be teachers, from verse 12, for when you ought to be teachers, I mean, when you ought to have become matured, to be able to what? Effectively steward what you are learning. That's what he means by teachers. He said, you still need one to do what? To do what? Teach you again the things which be what? The basics, the elementary, the rudiments, all right, of Christ. Now he goes on and says, he says, for strong meat, all right, belongs to those. Listen, strong meat, he says, belongs to those, all right, who are of age and who by reason of use. Now when he says and, is to let you know the connection between what? How you come of age. You understand that? So, it belongs to those who are of age, all right? And you become of age by exercise. You see, maturity is the fruit of what? Practice. Exercise. That is how in the spirit you attain maturity. It's not by how long you've been there, you've been around. All right? It's by how well you are practicing. It's by how well you are exercising. It's not by how long you've been in the faith. So he says, strongly belongs to those who are of age. All right? And who by reason of what? Of use. That's verse 14. Who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Have their senses exercised. You see? Have their senses exercised. So, we've got senses that you have responsibility for exercise. You must take the response to exercise these things, these senses. God will not. Yes, there are times, I've said that many times, where through the gift of the Spirit, are we paying attention? One or two or more of these senses, you know, are activated for the purpose of stewarding these supernatural manifestations. But after, in code, the manifestation lifts. It's, in court, appears as though you are left alone. No, God does not do use and dump. <laughs> God doesn't do that. Now, one of the things God does through the gift is to show us something about our senses. But one of the challenges, you know, mistake we make is this. 
we go through those manifestations of the gift of the Spirit, all right, come to that brief awareness of that spiritual sense, all right, and don't do anything after the manifestation to revisit. See, that's one of the reasons why one of the very powerful secrets of people in the Old Testament is that they understood the principle of revisiting places of visitations. We call it the principle of remembrance. You see, now, the idea is not to go to a geographic place. No, the idea is to re-engage the experience there. Now, of course, we don't do that now, all right? Are we paying attention? Because we have a privilege they didn't have them. So now, on account of the indwelling spirit, all right, in our hearts, you see, we can revisit places of encounter. Listen, folks. These are important things. If you want to grow, you must understand these things. See, Satan, I said this yesterday, Satan understands the spiritual makeup of man. It's one of the reasons why, even after the man is saved, he's met Jesus, Satan will want to continue to do what constitutes some level of ignorance over the spiritual function of his heart. Why do you think you are now saved? You are saved. Yet, you can still get angry. You are saved. Yet Satan wants to use images to mess up the gate of your imagination. You are saved. He wants to continue to create issues that will continue to compromise your emotions. Satan knows that without the collective, all right, submission of your senses, both soul and spirit, to the Lord, your spirituality will be undermined to be reduced to almost nothing. Now, that's why in the Old Testament, you will see that saints understood this. They understood the faithful stewardship of their heart's gates, beginning from their souls. They knew how to remember. They knew how to call to remembrance. Are we here? They knew how to, how to steward their emotions. Now, these are people who, like we all know, didn't have the Holy Ghost inside of them. They knew how to steward their emotions. They knew how to steward their gates of reason. That is why it didn't matter how terrible the world around them, what it was like, all right? What God said would make sense to them. That's the gate of reason. What God said to them makes sense. Look at prophets, for example. Elijah. His student had thrown somebody's axe head into the water, of course, by mistake, and they called his attention to it. The instruction he received, or we became the instruction he gave, was for them to cut a piece of wood and put it into the same spot of water. And a metal head, it doesn't, but it made sense to the man. Look at Moses. The whole nation. Men, women, plus children. Are we here? <laughs> We're in need of food. God tells him, take 70 of the elders. Take them towards the tabernacle. He said, I will take off the spirit upon you and put it on them. Scripture says, as they all prophesied. As they all prophesied, what happened? An east wind blew into the camp and brought with it quails. These are things that at the point of instruction don't make sense. 
You see? Look at Abraham. Look at Abraham. God was dealing with the man and God said, you know what? See if you can number the stars in the sky. Now, Abraham didn't do it once. It was something Abraham kept doing. Or look at Abraham when God had his name changed. Are we paying attention? See, this is something God was doing to continually engage their heart. And the more, engage, the more they allow God to engage their heart, all right, the greater the influence of the kingdom of God all right, that could invade the earth around them. See, the way God designed you, listen, your gates all right, are heaven's point of entry into the earth. Heaven's point of entry into the earth is not the sky above you. Do you understand that? You see, heaven is not way up. <laughs> Do you understand that? You know that idea that the heaven is up. Though I just keep traveling up, you get to heaven. <laughs> you get somewhere else. <laughs> heaven is not up. Uh, please listen carefully. Listen carefully. Now, quickly, um, I want to go to the book of John. John chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1. As we do this, please pay attention to the principles. You know, that way. John chapter 1, verse from verse 50. We'll see 50 and 51. John 1. Okay. Now, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee. I saw thee under the fig tree. Believest thou? He said, do you believe because I saw you under the fig tree? Now, you know the story. You know the background. Jesus on seeing Nathanael, supposedly for the first time, all right, says something to Nathanael that only Nathanael knew, that describes his person. Something that only, you know, him or people who were very close to him knew about him. And the guy in amazement was like, how come you know me? You've never met me before. And Jesus said, while you were under the tree, I saw you. I saw you. So in response to the man's shock, Jesus said, is it because I said I saw you under the tree you believe? He said, you have not seen anything. You see greater things. Now look at this, 51. Look at 51. He says, and he said unto him, very, very, I say unto you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon who? Notice, he does not say upon the Son of God. All right? He says upon the Son of Man. Now, I want to note something very carefully. He does not say the Son of God. He says upon the Son of Man. Now, don't forget that Jesus was the Son of God, is the Son of God, right? Are we paying attention? Yes. When the revelation of the Father hits Peter, Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But here, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, you may go ahead and think, oh, it was because as at this time, all right, None of the disciples, none of the people, including the disciples, knew who he was. But even after his ascension, remember? John the beloved called him the Son of Man. Remember, in Revelations 1, when John, in that experience, all right, heard his voice, experienced his presence, then he said, I turned behind, I turned back to see the voice that was speaking behind me. He said, and I saw he that was like the Son of Man. No, John wasn't, now John should have said Son of God. Why was he calling the son of man? 
You know, the book of Revelation is a prophetic book. All right? The message, they are not literal. So when John calls him the son of man, John knew what he was saying. Now, Jesus is reference to himself here as a son of man. All right? Being the, the ladder hmm, for the interactions of heaven and earth. Because that's actually what he was saying. The word angels here isn't just for certain creatures called angels. The word angel is used also by the Lord to describe the things of God. Things that goes forth on behalf of God. That's what angel, messengers of God. So Jesus didn't use the word angel here, all right, even though that's what the manuscript says, but Jesus' use of the word isn't just living beings, all right, but he's speaking of the entirety of the realities of God, all right, moving back and forth from God, all right, via the conduit of what? The son of man. Now listen. Based on God's initial design, of man. Man is a unique being. You see. And one of the important things we must understand about man in regards to his makeup is that man's gates, what you call the senses of man, aren't just senses for you to know things. You see. Of course, there are senses for you to be able to interact. Alright. But in the real sense of it, your senses are conduits or entry points. Are we here? They are. Entry points with which God interacts with the earth. So what you call heaven's gate, heaven's gate is not somewhere, it's not something somewhere. Heaven's gate is you. You see? Now, throughout scripture, there's no time for that, but throughout scripture, you see these things replicated. For example, Revelations, all right? Revelations 21. You see how the city is described? All right? The point of entry into the city is what? Is who? People. Twelve gates. The twelve tribes. You see? The foundation of the city is what? People. The twelve apostles of the Lamb. In Revelation 20, Jesus speaking to the seven churches, to one of the churches he says, he that overcomes. I will make him a pillar. And don't forget that Revelation 21 calls that, what you call um, the heavenly Jerusalem, alright, Zion, he calls it the dwelling of God. Remember? When he said he saw that city come out of God, alright, what was the pronouncement he heard? He said, for what? The dwelling of God is now amongst men. First Corinthians 6, all right? First Corinthians 6, 19. You are told that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But in Ephesians 2, 18, 19, 20, 21, he tells you that what? We all are being built to become what? Or to be what? A habitation of God. Being built. Now, the responsibility of exercising, like Hebrews says, Hebrews 5, 14, of exercises your senses is yours. 
is yours. Now you see, because at new birth, the light of God through the preaching of the gospel entered into our heart. Our heart senses came into the awareness, all right, of the life of God. In fact, the new man we became, right? That new creature we became, all right, came alive with its senses. But like I said earlier, the challenge has always been believers not taking responsibility for exercising these senses after new birth. And from the time of your new birth to the time that you begin to experience expressions of the spirit, you see that one of the end of it all, all right, is the continuous triggering of your senses. Look at it. You experience the spirit within you, all right? Your first experience of that spirit coming, rising within to come upon you, all right? Are we paying attention? Results into what? The speaking of divine syllables. Now, these syllables you call tongues, you didn't hear them to speak them. It was as you opened your vocal cord, you yielded the vocal cord, what happened? They formed on your lips and came out as tongues. Are we paying attention? So you see, so what you call tongues is actually the, is the transportation. Remember 1 Corinthians 14? 14, 1 and 2. It says, when we speak in tongues, we don't speak to men. All right? Because no man understands us. See, but in the spirit, we what? We speak mysteries. So it says, the tongues you speak are God's mysteries. So your first experience of that supernatural manifestation, all right, is, was the transportation of God's mysteries from your spirit across the gates of your soul, all right, and what came out through one of the gates of your body, that is what? Your mouth. Because you are spirit, soul, body. That's how you were designed. So, what you speak as tongue with your mouth, all right, traveled, you know, a distance via what? The gates of your being, your spirit's gate, soul's gate, then end came out. So, now you speak in tongues when you pray. Now, when, after, you know after a while of praying in tongues, if you take out time afterwards to meditate, you begin to come into the know of what to do. Is the reason why many times when you speak in tongues, you are speaking counsel. If only we will listen. But you know, as we live, we listen in the hall, we speak in tongues and we just go. <laughs> you understand that? We go and we are like, I, I, Pastor, I don't know what to do. But have you prayed about it? Say, I've prayed. Say, but God has not spoken. You, you see? He said, he has not spoken. I'm still trusting him. He will speak. He's been speaking. And one of the simplest ways he speaks, all right, is by the uttering of his mysteries. Through your own mouth. So a lot of times, if you take the time to tune your ears, you will realize that all the while you were praying, you were praying, you were praying the solution from start to finish. Because Paul says, when you pray in the spirit, you speak mysteries. What are these mysteries? Mystery basically means something veiled. When they become unveiled, what are they? Tangible, usable solutions. You know, just, it's not gibberish. It's not veiled gibberish. Yes, it's veiled until understanding comes. But when the veil is removed, what happens? 
is tangible, usable. Hidden within them are instructions, directions, counsel. So, you see, the transport system, it travels from your spirit, all right, and comes out, see, across gates, because your mouth too is a gate, right? Is that not what you call it? When you say, what are your five senses? You call them, they're actually gates. So it comes out. So through your vocal gate, you utter mysteries. But that's not where it should end. Now, you know, as you See, that's one of the reasons why it's important to, when it comes to, see, if you want to gain mastery spiritually, you must create time for these things. No rush. You must create time. See, every, every spiritual person, I mean, every person who engages the spirit world, including those who are occult, who are in the occult, astrologers, you know, necromancers, and all those witches and wizards, are we paying attention? Irrespective of their status in society, they are people who give time to spiritual things. They give time to spiritual things. It is the, it is the, <laughs> it's a pity, on the one hand, believers, whose understanding of spirituality, all right, is low, that think, you know, that think differently. You see, look at Abraham. You saw what, what we saw in, about Abraham, Genesis 18? It wasn't something Abraham did once. You see? Now, I'm sure if you, you know the event that occurred afterwards, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. See the intelligence with which Abraham engaged the court of the Lord. Look at how he spoke to God intelligently. He said, okay, if you get to the city and you find 50 righteous persons, wouldn't you spare the land for the righteous? He said, the Lord said, okay, I will, will. You know, I like you, I like you. That's why I couldn't hide it from you in the first place. I like you. He said, okay, Lord, don't be angry. What if you find 40? He got up and said, wait, will the judge of the whole earth not do what is right? How do you talk to God? Ah! You talk to God like that. You see, in the spirit, intelligence, accurate knowledge of spiritual things is what boldness is. Is how boldness is defined. Boldness is not just, you have chest. Mm. They will strike that chest now. It's intelligence. You know how this thing works. As long as you are standing on protocol, it doesn't matter your size, shape, and form. You'll be giving hearing. He said, should the judge of the whole earth not do what is right? Now, of course, his son observed that growing up. And he began to push into the same endeavor, right? Look at because in 24 of Genesis 63. You see, are we paying attention? It says, and Isaac went into the field to meditate. Now, don't see. Do you know how rich Abraham was? And how much wealth, all right, besides this giving of the blessing, the stewarding of the blessing that he had transferred to Isaac. Isaac was a very rich guy. You know, the, the more wealth you have, the busier you become. You know, the world that makes you less busy is not, not wealth. It's not wealth. 
Every true promotion makes you more busy. In the kingdom, that's the way it works. And the natural. The higher you go, the more responsible for people you become. And responsibility for people. Or still worshiping the kingdom means you'll be busy. So Isaac was a busy man. Overseeing this large amount of wealth. Yet, we were giving a peep into his life. <clears throat> because it wasn't just something he did once. Even though it was mentioned once. It says he went into the field to meditate. It was a lifestyle. And where did he learn it? From his dad. He saw his dad in times of engagement. Times of prayer and meditations. Now you should say, what, what was in meditation for? He's already rich. That's, that is if you think the essence of all of this is to become rich. That's what some people think. That's what people follow God. They follow God so that they can have. Do you understand that? Do you remember Abraham's, um, sorry, Melchizedek pronouncement over Abraham? Are we here? He called Abraham possessor of heaven and earth. So such a man should go and sleep. No. He lived a life life, a, a, a lifestyle of continuously stewarding spirituality. Now, glory to God. <laughs> glory to God. Spiritual things can be understood. They can be learned. They can be understood. They can be learned. They can be practiced. Spiritual things can be practiced. So that's one of the reasons why I believe a major foundation to gaining grasp of spiritual things is understanding the spiritual makeup of man. Now that was what Jesus was pointing to in chapter 1 of John, verse 51. When he spoke of the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, he was pointing light on the transportation of divine things, of heaven's things, all right, via the what? Interface of man's gates. Of man's gates. This is something, amongst other things, I believe, the church needs to come to terms with. If we are to walk in the prophesied glory. You see, if we are to walk in the endlessness of God that Christ is the embodiment of. This is one such understanding we must come into. You see, the way we live our lives, alright, human beings, you know, have developed concern, you know, and attraction for his body. You see how we take care of our body? When, things, when something is not wrong in your body, you know. You know by the symptoms. You can tell, it, I think I'm having fever. How do you know? I'm having a headache. It's whenever I feel that headache here, I know it's fever. <laughs> oh, I, I think, I think, I think I'm, you know, I may have caught the flu. How do you know? There's this dryness. Whenever I start feeling dryness, you know, at the you know, bottom of my throat, I, 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 that's good. You know, at least you can tell. If you have been taking a lot of cold water, you can tell, okay, to stop. All right? But do you know in, the, in a similar way, you have senses in your heart. You can tell when a demon is in a place. You may not see visually as at yet, but you can tell. 
There are things in your heart that would begin to stare. The same way you can tell when the Lord, let me give one story then I'll just, you know, quickly drop the mic. There was this time, years back, I was praying, you know, I was praying in the house. My wife had, you know, left very early. She had gone to work. So I came out of the sitting room before, you know, I, was, I had things to do, appointments. So I came into the living room. I was just praying, you know, just praying, barefooted. Now, while I was going back and forth in the living room, I got to a particular spot. When I got there, that spot felt different. Not bodily, not, you know, physically. But it felt different. But, so, uh, uh, by the time, you know, I said to myself, there's something about this place. All right, I had gone through it a number of times. So, all right, I know what to do. You know what I did? I walked to that spot and stood there and kept praying in the spirit. In seconds after standing there, I didn't know at the time that actually an angel was standing there. So in seconds of standing there, because the way I stood, I stood there facing the angel. So it was as though I was standing in the angel. You understand? You know when the supernatural interacts with the natural? So I stood facing him. So after seconds of standing there, the angel, all right, tall, huge, pushed my chest. So I staggered backwards. Then he looked at me and did this. Do you understand that? Now, he had something to say, which he said, and, but the point is this. It was not like other time. Before then, I'd had angelic experience to just show up and say, but imagine if I had just carried on. No, sometimes you sense divine presence and you just go, oh, God's presence is here. Oh, oh. See, sometimes what you are sensing, you are to engage. But we just put it into songs. You are so good. We'll turn it into Psalms. You are aware. Some, see, it's not necessarily about keeping quiet, but if being quiet is one of the things you need to do to actively, intelligently engage, do it. Turn your heart's gate in that direction of that manifestation. Many times, believers have, because these are not generally taught, believers have wasted encounters. Turn moments of encounter to worship meetings. Are we paying attention? Just waste it. In the Old Testament, these guys continue to be like, the scripture says, an example to us. They will come into the realization of a divine presence and they would respond. They would walk up to it. Different people who didn't have the righteousness of God as at yet, but they will confidently approach it. Look at Joshua. He was praying, busy praying about the Jericho challenge. He suddenly looked up and he saw this man. Joshua got up and walked up to him. Do you understand that? He engaged him. Look at Manuel, Samson's father. He did ask, what's your name? You know, in today's church, you can't even talk about the names of angels. Now, because of the error of some, some who have, you understand that? But people's error shouldn't be the basis for what? You understand that? The man asked. This was a man who wasn't justified. So what was the foundation of his confidence? Stories. Supernatural stories they were told. Remember Gideon? I mentioned Gideon yesterday. Say, if God is with us, the proof is that what? The miracles our father experienced most. 
continually be duplicated. So that's the proof of God's presence. So as I said, said if God is worth, where be the miracles our fathers told us of? Glory to God. But God is bringing about activations. Everybody say activations. activations. Yes. There will be, and there is, it's ongoing, activation of senses. The release of the things of God will be engaged on a greater level, which will in turn bring about a cascading of weights of glory, weights of glory over everyone's life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Lift your hands and just thank him. Go ahead and just love on Jesus. Love on him. Go ahead and love on him. Love on him. Oh, glory, 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 glory to God. <laughs> oh, glory. 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 The things of God belongs to us. Belongs to us. That is why he has given us his spirit. His spirit. He says we have received the spirit which is of God. That we might know the things of God are ours. That is why the spirit was sent. Jesus said in regards to the spirit of truth. He said when he comes he will guide you into all things. So God is not withholding anything from you. So when he comes he will guide you into all things. He says for all that the father hath, all that God owns are mine. So therefore I say to you he shall take of what is mine and reveal it to you. Go ahead and just worship him. Tell him how much of his all you are willing to come into in 2022. Go ahead. Tell him how much of his all you are willing to steward. Yes. We are talking about the year of kingdom builders. Kingdom builders are stewards. Stewards. They steward divine things. They capture patterns. They capture civilizations. And they build it. They erect it in the earth. Go ahead and tell him. Thank you Jesus. Jesus.